You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast, and uh, we're going to uh, do a little bit of uh, lifting our head up out of the COVID clouds and uh, have a look at the rest of uh, the world around us. Uh, I've got a piece all about... uh, Waste. It came from the Jesuits uh, Social Services Eco Justice Hub and I learnt quite a few things uh, when I listened to these people discussing uh, local action to deal with uh, food insecurity and uh, building of uh, community in a local context. Uh, when I was listening to it. And it, it, there's a story from Bendigo, there's a group from Faulkner and there's uh, a place, uh, there's a group from Brunswick, so uh, quite local, but also a little bit extended. So it gives us an impression of what's happening in other parts of the state uh, during COVID, but in general, in regards to uh, community fighting back when it comes to issues of uh, not having enough food uh and uh, young people in particular losing connection to community and how work is being done to uh, reverse that trend. So we're going to have a look at that today. And uh, we're also going to hopefully talk to Jenny Elvey from the Bendigo Family and Financial Services to get an insight into how they're dealing with uh, those communities that are dealing with uh, financial insecurity and uh, uh, other stuff now that uh, COVID's hit, but also the difficulties in uh, uh, work uh, and family life in uh, rural areas. Uh, Kevin's back. This is the week that was. And we're going to follow it up with a look at uh, the no cashless debit card. No, it hasn't gone away. Just because there's COVID doesn't mean all the terrible uh, buzzy flies coming out of the uh, federal government at the moment don't continue as their agenda to uh, undermine our uh, Social security system continues uh, and uh, there's going to be a campaign to try and uh, get rid of the cashless debit card altogether. Uh, Catherine Wilkes and Amanda Smith talked to us about this. This this comes from a very interesting uh, uh, thing that uh, the Life Campaign has started, that's uh, Living Incomes for Everybody, which is a coalition of uh, groups that are all working for a progressive future. They've started doing tutorials 
online tutorials where they get people and interested parties to ask questions of people who are actively working against or running campaigns to uh, better our society. It was quite interesting to note that The Age this morning is full of uh, the anti-vaxxer rowdies saying that they're going to uh, enter Parliament and all those low-life, un-performing politicians should watch out because they're coming to use Parliament. And I was thinking, oh, just another lot of un representative swill, you know, the big house just needs a whole load more of these people who don't know anything about actually working together for a better future to get into Parliament because they, like our present LNP government, appear not to actually understand the levers and processes of government. I mean, whatever you think about the system we live in, they, uh, it appears that the people who actually wish to uh, go, you know, take control of government in this country uh, have very little understanding of the actual frameworks of the parliamentary process. But, you know, you know which was proved by the uh, lack of unseemly behaviour in regards to pork barrelling during the sports rorts the uh, minister unable to actually know what her the extent of her power was and uh, the difference between uh, a king who says may it uh, let it be so and uh, the whole structure of uh, statutory authorities etc cetera, etc cetera, that have all obviously been put in as checks and balances to this uh, to the uh, the obvious pigs in trough sort of behaviour of uh, people who have gone mad with power. But anyway, uh, you know, as I said, depend. You know, system change would be great, but uh, we'll see uh, that in 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 a better future, I'd say. But anyway, that's what the program holds today. And uh, before we get on, we'll uh, hear a few interesting tidbits from uh, different parts of the uh, world that want to tell you about things that are coming up. Planet X presents two musically cinematic benefit nights for 3CR at Brunswick Burrito, 102 Hinkle Street, Brunswick. On Friday the 13th of August, Golden Fist Productions present the premiere of the Cranoplanes Unconditional Loop promotional film, introduced by the director and the Cranoplanes vocalist Simon Strong. The Cranoplanes are also playing acoustically, plus there'll be Soviet psychedelic shorts. On Friday the 20th of August, the new Little Murders documentary Don't Let Go will be screening with a Little Murders acoustic show. The film will be introduced by the director Matt Wilson and Little Murder's main man Rob Griffith. And the film tells the story about Rob's long-running mod band, Little Murders. There'll also be mystery shorts to round off the night. Burritos and drinks available at 7pm before each session. The donation for tickets is only $20 for one night and $35 for both. Limited tickets available online at planetx3crbenefit.eventbrite.com. That's planetx3crbenefit.eventbrite.com. 
www.eventbrite.com It's time to complete your census. You can do it online, by paper, or with help from us. For more information, visit census.abs.gov.au. Estonia Life Week. I'm joining the race for up to 100,000 more Australians to register as organ and tissue donors. I'm registering because I know that we all can and we all should. Doesn't matter how old you are, your medical history, your lifestyle, what country you're from, or how healthy you are. So I know I'll be making a real difference to people in my community by joining the great registration race. Registering is easy and only takes one minute at donatelife.gov.au slash register. A 3CR supporter. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Don't um, lots of things going on. Uh, I love the uh, Planet X uh, benefit uh, film night. Sounds pretty good to me. Uh, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and uh, we're going to go directly to the. Uh, it was an event that was called Our Waste, but uh, what it actually was, and it was put together by the Jesuits uh, Social Services. Uh, it was a Zoom, and it was Echo Justice Hub, and you can uh, probably get the full account of what happened. But uh, what I've put together here is some really fascinating stuff from the people, the three three panellists. I found it fascinating because, one, it's really positive, and two, it's uh, telling us it's opening the uh, box on uh, local community action for a better future. And some of it's up close and some of it's a bit further away in the... uh, uh, countryside of Victoria and I don't know about you but living in a city it's often very easy to forget that there's a bigger world outside so we'll um, get them to introduce the individuals the first one up is Bridget Bentley and she is from Bendigo Food Share to introduce Bridget Bentley Bridget Bentley is a manager at Bendigo Food Share which is a charitable organisation that rescues donated and surplus food to people in need via food distribution to local charities, community groups and schools. Working with around 90 not-for-profit groups and with over 300 volunteers, Bendigo Food Shares Reach extends far beyond the city of Bendigo, covering much of central and north-central Victoria, including Echuca and Beaufort, to support more than 12,000 people each week with food relief. Thanks, Susie. Thank you very much for having me. Um, It's good to feel close, even though we are up here in Bendigo and we're all obviously going through the same challenges at the moment together. So Bendigo Food Share is a regional food relief hub and we are tackling some big problems and trying to use one of those large problems to help solve another. So as you probably all know, um, Australia produces more food than we eat. We throw out about $8 billion worth every single year. And on the other hand, we've got this significant issue where we've got one in five Aussie kids going to school hungry every day. And in Bendigo, we've got one in nine families that struggle to put food on the table at some time every week. And Bendigo also unfortunately has the highest rate of youth poverty in Victoria and the fifth highest in Australia. So since 2013, this little grassroots organisation called Bendigo Food Share has decided to tackle these problems by rescuing food that would have once ended up in landfill and using this food to ensure that it goes to helping people doing it tough across central Victoria through food relief. 
We're sharing that food with nearly 13,000 people. We have 300 active volunteers that help us do this. We only have six paid staff. I think it's 4.3 EFT. So right from the board all the way across our organisation, people working in the shed, people going out and rescuing the food from um, supermarkets, um, people picking apples, um, getting it out to those that need it. It's all done by volunteers. We have also about 260 partner organisations across Central Victoria that help us to collect that food, help us raise the money for our um, operations and to keep going. We do 110 food rescues seven days a week. So through all the major supermarkets um, across Bendigo and also source food donations through other means, through community food drives, uh, food that food manufacturers would have perhaps thrown out can come to us if it's still perfectly fine to eat. We then get this food out to schools, kinders, childcare centres, large charities like the Salvation Army and St Vinnie's, community houses, uh, church groups and um, small community groups across central Victoria. Uh, through COVID, it's been a real roller coaster where we've seen the effects of panic buying, even just this weekend. Um, today, we couldn't fulfill all of the fruit and veg orders for our, our clients because there's no food left in the supermarkets. That makes it really tricky. Meanwhile, we've got demand um, that's on the increase and on average about 30% demand increase through COVID. Uh, so to meet this increasing need, last year we went from sourcing and distributing 755,000 kilograms to 893,000 kilograms of food. So that's an increase of about 20%. Uh, it's worth $6.7 million worth of food that's all been rescued and sourced by our volunteers and saved from landfill. So we estimate the recovery of this food is about 1.6 million tonnes of um, carbon dioxide equivalent from being emitted and 170,000 kilolitres of water. So significant waste savings there. We know that we're never going to meet demand for food relief and we also know that providing food relief is only part of the solution to building a food secure community. So we partner with organisations to increase access to food relief and to build skills in growing, cooking and sharing our food. And that is now um, a growing focus of what we do. So we've had a program uh, called Grow, Cook, Share, which is in addition to organisations who provide food relief, it's running cooking clubs to teach recipients how to use the food that they're either buying in the supermarket or getting through Bendigo Food Share um, to make simple, healthy meals. It's also learning how to grow food or take the food that you might have in the garden to include in those meals. We have a program called Grow, a Row, or Pick a Branch which is a real simple initiative, but it's about engaging backyard, community and school gardens to think about what they do with their excess harvest. So all of those trees that you see lemons falling to the ground um, or we, we get a punnet of six zucchini plants where maybe we only needed one, we're encouraging people to think about sharing their harvest uh, with food relief through Bendigo Food Share. And that's been hugely successful. Schools in particular have really enjoyed being part of that. It's extended their school kitchen garden program to a community service element as well. And we've had over 5,000 kilograms of food donated through this program. Fruit fly is a big problem, unfortunately, in Bendigo and really spread um, this last season through central Victoria with um, the season that we had. 
we have a small community group that engages with backyards to show them that they that households can still have a productive fruit tree if it's looked after properly and so they provide fruit nets and some um, tips on how to prune their tree and they help to care for the trees and in return the harvest is shared three ways with the owner of the tree the volunteers who care for it and with Bendigo Food Share. Through that program, we're also gleaning apples from Harcourt, apples that would have once fallen on the ground. We have teams of volunteers um, for the last two seasons that go down into those orchards and collect apples for us. And um, we then get to enjoy beautiful, delicious Harcourt apples through our food relief program. We've recently made a relationship with a local market garden called Golden Gums Donation Garden and they are growing food for us and we've got teams of volunteers that go in there that are learning valuable skills in in how to grow their own food and how to grow their own food on a, um, a large production scale as well. I mentioned that we have an issue with young people and food poverty in Bendigo. With the support of Vic Health and another grant, we've been able to put on a young coordinator, project coordinator to run a program called You Foods, which is focused on young people aged 16 to 24 years and looking at ways that we can help to increase their food security. We are doing that through lots of cooking programs within schools, particularly VCAL students and uh, growing food with the production hall uh, students at Bendigo TAFE. At Bendigo TAFE, they're looking to bring over a biodigester that they're unable to accommodate at their premises and and we'll house it at our site and still use it as a learning tool for the students there and reduce our waste um, with the things that we're doing. Uh, They're just some of the things that we're doing. And then I guess the impact of our initiatives at the grassroots, it's about connecting our community. It's about um, having the conversation and allowing the conversation to get easier and easier and destigmatize um, the issue of needing help, which I think COVID did really well. It um, showed all of us that anyone could need help at any point in time and um, hopefully made it easier for people to ask for help, especially around food. But one of our biggest impacts has been that the activity of us and and our hard work, along with our um, other regional food shares in Albury, Geelong, um, Shepparton, Warrnambool and Mildura, has led to the state government recognising place-based community-led initiatives important and need to be resourced. So the state government for the very first time has um, given us money given us capital and helping to um, cover our operating expenses and most recently in response to this current COVID situation that we have we've got money to buy food that's had a, a massive impact for us. I think then it's about making sure as I said at the beginning that uh, we engage our community in lots of different ways so whether people are motivated to engage with us because they really are into reducing waste or it's about food and cooking food or growing that food it's corporates and allowing um, them to feel the value of their contribution from a fundraising perspective at the moment we have local hospitality businesses that are cooking meals for us and we're paying them 
to help support their businesses at this very difficult time. And we're receiving the meals as, um, as food to be able to hand out to those that need it. So as many different ways as we can is, is how, how we like to look at it. And we're building on this momentum uh, that we have within our community. We have at the state government level too to drive uh, a campaign we're calling Mission Possible, which is to get a much needed bigger warehouse. Uh, we're in a very, very small space constrained warehouse at the moment and to create a community food hub where we can introduce some of these other very important things to grow, cook and share food. We will have a social supermarket, a pop-up cafe, a food garden and a cooking skills uh, training area there too. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am on digital and online, 3CR Radical Radio. Yes, and you're listening to Annie on uh, Solidarity Breakfast and uh, we're exploring a few really positive things that are going on around the place. It was uh, from a um, a thing that the Jesuit social services people put uh, on from the Echo Justice Hub and uh, it was called No Waste and uh, that was uh, Bridget Bentley from the uh, Bendigo Food Chair. Uh, I found that absolutely fascinating because it's so practical and it shows quite clearly the uh, building of the social fabric to actually uh, build a a stronger community. It sounds like... uh, you know, grassroots people fighting back, basically, under very trying circumstances and rebuilding what humans are good at, which is social fabric and culture. Um, There was uh, the next part was uh, from uh, Dr. Jane Ray, Jane Ray, who's uh, a bit closer to home, and uh, she explores some of these, uh, those kind of ideas. Before we get on to it, though, it was interesting to me that... uh, uh, Bridget talked about uh, place-based initiatives being recognised by the Labor Party because I listened to a webinar that was uh, a, a budget response and Jim, Jim Chambers actually talked about this thing called place-based initiatives, local place-based um, initiatives being part of the policy framework that the Labor Party is going to uh, use. Uh, well, they're obviously, you know, testing the water for a way of uh, getting across to their uh, to, to the uh, public uh, to get support. So, you know, it it uh, was interesting that it, it, they obviously got it from these kind of uh, works that are going on in local areas. Anyway, we'll move on with uh, Dr Jan Ray's, uh, what she's got to say. Our second panellist is Dr Jan Ray. Jan is an artist, researcher, facilitator and educator working at the intersections of food, art, food justice and the climate emergency. Her 15-year practice-led research expertise is in the discursive fields of contemporary environmental art and environmental communication. It is centered around cultural responses to climate change and everything change. She's the director of Fair Share Fair and co-founder of Faulkner Commons and a board member of the Australian Creative Recovery Network, the International Environmental Communication Association and Faulkner Football. Jen, I'll I'll throw it over to you now. I'm going to talk about Faulkner Commons. I'm going to contextualize all of this within the climate emergency, obviously. I come from an arts background. For the last six years, I've been working with a team of artists and emergency services and local government rehearsing climate-related disaster scenarios. 
And in 2018, we actually rehearsed a pandemic. So that's really relevant to Faulkner Commons. So Faulkner Commons is a COVID response food hub and um, Faulkner is the northern suburb of Moreland and it's the most food insecure suburb of Moreland. It's a very culturally diverse area and it was also heavily impacted in 2020 with um, the northern suburbs lockdown for the reason that it had 181 cases and 43 deaths. At the time, my partner Sally co-founded Faulkner Food Bowls, which is a community garden on a disused bowling green and comes from a community development background. And I was working with Moreland Council and the Open Food Network on the Food Hub Feasibility Study. And it was this, this aha moment in my studio where we were saying, looking at all of these variables and going, if Faulkner goes into a lockdown, we're going to you know, potentially be in trouble here. And we convened um, an online meeting with 13 people who were food producers or people involved in the food system in different ways, including Moreland Council. And we wanted to ensure that we would have a healthy food channel um, into Faulkner. And the bowling club was not being used at the time. It was closed. And so we activated the bowling club. And the purpose of that was simply to just um, have paid food boxes and distributing them. Our ethos in working is that we don't produce food, we just move food, we aggregate it and distribute. Um, so we don't hold on to anything. And within a very short amount of time, we had people coming to us saying that they were in need of food relief. And it was a broad spectrum of people coming to us for all different reasons. We reached out and found out that the food relief organizations in the North were closed. And that was predominantly because they were ran by elderly volunteers. We ended up working with Moreland Council and Eco Justice Hub and Oz Harvest, a bunch of groups helping to be the the distributor for the north because we had transportation is a major issue up here whether it's public transportation or the movement of food so we were quite centralized in being able to do that we realized that we had a lot of members of our community we're very hyper local we're, many members of our community wanted to contribute or help in some sort of way and so we built in um, something that we call our pay it forward or a pith or pay it forward we're coming from very much a food justice lens. We invite all members of our community to collaborate in this process. We're very experimental. We ended up developing this program that is called Food with Dignity. So we don't distribute food relief. We distribute what we call red boxes. And the only reason we call them red boxes is because we put a red sticker on them. Basically, what it means is that through our Pay It Forward, through our Hump Day Takeaway that we did last year, which was a pay-as-you-feel meal distribution, our small batch, which was bringing community members in to cook dips and so forth. And then the money from that would pay for boxes. We were able to distribute food boxes to members of our community in need alongside people who were paying for the boxes and you couldn't tell the difference. Faulkner Food Bowls, Gregory, who was Kelly and Gregory were growing a lot of food through um, the Moving Feast initiative and providing top-ups to the red boxes. The Inner North Foundation, we worked with them for a grant to add milk or pay it forward, added eggs. And so a box that would be a paid box for $20 was completely subsidized through all of the different partner um, relationships. So we're very much coming from a holistic, more of a gifting economy sort of perspective as opposed to a charity. We are inviting people to come in. And what we saw was that we were developing a sense of social cohesion through our activities. 
we were forming deep relational bonds that have now transcended to people in the community being more involved in the food system. These reflections that we have every once in a while where we think, you know, we have members of our LGBTIQ community that were volunteering alongside some of our members of the, the Muslim community praying on the other side of the pool table. It was, it was, it was very, very active um, during that time. In essence, we're in the pandemic era. It's not just COVID-19. We're seeing, you know, the potential that this is a, a long issue for us within the climate context. And, you know, yes, we were very fortunate as well to get big health funding to build capacity in our work. But at the same time, we're seeing people going back to normal ways of purchasing food, people going back to their work. There's value shifts that are happening. What we've been trying to do all along is to be experimental, to be able to bolster food literacy in our community. Things around, you know, that food is not cheap. Somebody along that food chain pays. Knowing who produces the food creates a relationship. We're trying to create those relationships and connections we talk about how over 80% of the food in your supermarket, it wasn't there 100 years ago. And we also acknowledge that many members of our community that are seeking food relief come from backgrounds where they have a lot of food knowledge and it's climate change and displacement that have placed them here and that there are structural injustices within Australia that don't enable them to work or know that they're stuck in different sort of gig economies and so forth. The last thing I think our community is um, gentrifying. We are seeing um, house prices rise. We're seeing, you know, different sort of conversations happening within social media. And one of the things that we're thinking about is how our involvement in the food system here is also a part of that gentrification. Many of our volunteers are in rental housing you know, or in shared housing and so forth. And we are concerned in many ways that that might push out a lot of the cultural producers and invite more cultural consumers into our community. And so we're thinking a lot about how do we, how, how do we keep those conversations going um, in terms of raising awareness and so forth. 3CR Community Radio, giving voice to the community since 1976. Our final panellist is Gabrielle Pestinger. Gabrielle is a founder of Hold Foods Unwrapped Collective. This collective is based in Brunswick and Faulkner. The organisation is a vegetarian collective supporting local producers who focus on small-scale production of high-quality whole foods and household goods that are unpackaged. Formed in 2019 and with over 2,000 members, the collective operates a circular economy, reusing any necessary packaging and unnecessary packaging and donating proceeds to charitable organizations. Gabrielle. We're Whole Foods Unwrapped Collective and we began in 2019 um, out of my home in Coburg North actually just with the thought um, my neighbor and I being vegetarian and buying a lot of tofu every week um, had major misgivings about the amount of plastic we were um, using and consuming by buying that product. And so we had the thought of um, contacting that tofu um, maker in Kilsyth and saying, well, hey, can we just come with our buckets down to you and, and get your tofu without the plastic? And they were completely receptive to that idea. And 
we put it out there to friends and family and the word got out and we had people coming and getting their tofu from our buckets in our house in Coburg North and it grew exponentially within weeks, just the tofu, and we had people lining up outside of the door pre-COVID to get their tofu. So with that, we had the thoughts along the lines, well, if we can do tofu without plastic, why can't we do other products? Why can't we do bread? Why can't we do... Um, uh, why can't we do yogurt? Why can't we do noodles and so forth? And so we started ringing around a lot of makers, mostly local people, and we got a lot of um, rejection, but we also got a lot of people who were into it. And so from that point in August of 2019, we now have 250 products within our collective that we get either completely unpackaged, we use our own bulk containers, or we use very minimal um, packaging that we reuse or recycle. So obviously, um, with the growth, we um, are not in COVID North in my house anymore. We have moved to two new spaces in Brunswick and Faulkner. And we have 2000 members who are part of a Facebook group. And we have an online shop where those people go to every week and order and um, yeah, get, get their plastic free produce and, and goods and come to those two spaces in Brunswick and Falkland to pick those things up. So given our growth and the number of people we have in the group now, we have a lot of, um, I guess, bargaining power with the makers and the providers. So early on when we rang up and said, hey, we want, we want to have your produce, but we don't want to have it in packaging, people especially particularly social cultural groups were just like, what the heck, what are you talking about? But now given, given the numbers and given how, um, I, I guess, well-known we are, we don't get rejection at all anymore. We get a lot of people saying, well, hey, we haven't done this before, but we're willing to talk to you about it and we're willing to um, see what we can come up with. So I guess that's the reason we've come to have so many products that, you know, a year ago, most people were buying with plastic and now um, are just buying what we call naked. So, and I think um, in terms sort of evidence of that is um, we recently got in touch with um, Pure Harvest, who are one of two um, Victorian makers of plant-based milks because of um, their Tetra Packs, which are uh, uh, packaging that basically most councils can't recycle and Given, given the numbers in our group and the, the desire to have um, plant-based milks in um, either reusable or more sustainable packaging, at first they were, oh, I don't know about this. And But um, we told them about the group. We um, screenshotted hundreds and hundreds of messages in the group and now they're willing to negotiate with us with that. So we're really hoping that we can get those tetra packs out of out of landfill and and soy milk and other plant-based milks into um either glass or or returnable pails we're hoping so i think that's just an example of how how we've come to the point where we can negotiate with really big suppliers like that um in terms of impact obviously um the, the lack of packaging and the reduction in um, plastic has been one of our biggest impacts and I, I did try to work it out 
um, earlier on this week, and I think it comes to about um, 1,500 kilos of plastic, I think, that, that's an approximate, and what the amount of plastic that we've saved in terms of what, what we've bought in, in that um, year and a half that we've been around, or nearly two years now, actually. But I think um, another huge impact has been um, the sense of community you know we've got a really big network like I said earlier and I think those people all of us are very much into the same mission of um, waste reduction and and coming together to do things differently and shop in a different way rather than just you know going to Coles and, and getting you know scooping up things in the trolley full of plastic and um, other other nasties in terms of where it's from and how it's made as well. Um, uh, when we were at my house, we and pre-COVID, we had um, lots of events around community in terms of we had front yard music gigs, we had all kinds of coming together with with the group that we are. And now that we're in the two new spaces in both Brunswick and Faulkner, we're really hoping to expand upon that with um, more events once we're out of lockdown, obviously, and um, workshops around recycling and, and reusing and repurposing. So, yeah, it's very much about waste reduction, but it's also very much about coming together as a community, whether we're in COVID lockdown situation or out of it, because I think um, people need that, you know, more and more. And food and um, talking about recipes and how to, how to do things differently is a real way to bring people together. So yeah, that's us. Hey, yo, it's Tony. I can't get to the phone right now, but uh, just leave the name and number and I'll call you back. Hey, it's me. Look, it's the third time I've been calling you now and I need to know, are we meeting up tonight? Because we got some stuff to talk about. You've had me feeling a certain type of way recently, and we need to talk. Bye. Girls go fly in the sky, no other bird can deny. She gon' ride high with a sakia, lyrical saliva, me a fatafini, sensual inside. Be in the trees all night, tearing from the streams, eat pipes. Fantasy is chicken tonight, quick slice, take a bite, quite nice. My guy, real fine, got my juice so right. I said, hey, hey, go on, mister. I really wanna see how you treat a sister, cause I'm pretty seeker, nice to meet you. And the way you talk to me is back to my interest, the creeper deeper, make me leaker. I pretty seeker, nice to meet you, cause the destruction, finding FEMA, best of believer, trust the leader. Well, I got a five, now stack my money high. Angels by my side, now I don't wanna die. She said, I'ma get you high, if you wanna ride, let me show you how to fire. Show you how to fly. I want to know where you've been tonight. Like blue eyes, can't trust the light. Told long don't gonna cheat me right. Ain't with the world, but we deep meet me right. So, what's your name and what's your zip? Five foot nine, ain't with the shit. Big romance, can't even lift your bitch. Jay Holiday, but you go to bed with this. So, I'ma go and get mine right now. Tell them I ain't even got the time right now. Wanna hit me up for some fun right now. But I got a charge and a big bill, so that. <laughs> Baby boy, I'm feeling lonely. Caress my body only Stars in the sky, we'll be right all night I'm your fantasy, now you found the light I'm in my nine to five Now stack my money high Angels by my side Now I don't wanna die She said, I'ma get you high If you wanna ride Let me show you how to fly Show you how to fly I'm in my nine to five Now stack my money high Angels by my side 
Well, there you go. That was um, <laughs> Fly High, Miss Blanks. Uh, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and uh, we're going to continue with our conversation about uh, uh, dealing with uh, issues of uh, food security and uh, general life. In, in But this time we're going to go back to Baguette Bendigo, and we're going to speak to Jenny Elvie from the Bendigo Family and Financial Services. G'day, Jenny. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Annie. And you? I'm good. Thanks very much for talking to us. We, we'd love to know. Uh, I was saying to my listeners that uh, when you live in a city, you often, especially when you're in COVID, you often don't sort of get a, a sense of the rest of the state and what's happening for people. And yes. uh, you're right in the thick of it, aren't you? Yes, we are. Yes, we've um, we've stayed open right through lockdowns from last year. Um, continuing to support the community that we live in, um, which is slightly, which is a little bit trickier than Melbourne. We don't have public transport for a lot of our um, our community. We uh, don't have access the same as what some of the ones in uh, clients in Melbourne would have. So they're coming at things from a different angle. Yeah. So what are the major issues for people? Uh, you know, COVID would have exacerbated it. But uh, obviously yeah. there are things... Uh, and Bendigo's a really big place, actually. It's it quite is, spread yeah. out. Yes, yeah. But we, we go for quite a few kilometres outside past Bendigo too. Um, our, our biggest problem is, um, through COVID, is public transport is if you haven't got a car, you can't get in to collect food. Uh, a lot of the food deliveries don't go as far as what, as where our clients live. Um, increased rental costs now that we're coming through COVID and high electricity, gas costs because they've all been living at home. Um, oh, yes, of course. You know, and a lot of the uh, the internet, there's not some, many places don't have as um, stronger internet as what they needed for homeschooling for children. So there was lots of issues that, um, you know, that they were trying to work through while they were isolated at home. And I think one of the big things that's come out of this is um, the sadness that a lot of them are going through. They've just been isolated and um, not been able to get out. And when you're living in sort of rural and community, you don't have that neighbour next door that you can just wave to in the morning. And, you know, you are quite isolated in many places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I completely understand. I, in fact, I at one stage in my life, I did actually live in the bush on the top of a hill. And so whenever yeah. you saw a person, it was like, it didn't matter if you didn't like them or not. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would wave and say hi. <laughs> it was very exciting, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, clearly, uh, now there's other things about uh, country life for people who work, that people may have lost their jobs or there's, there's very high unemployment in pockets and also yeah. people are paid less. Yeah, 
Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think unemployment's quite quite difficult for a lot, um, and especially you know through COVID, they're, they're, a lot of our clients have lost part time hours as well, which is a huge loss of income for the family. Um, there's been you know many 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 food places that haven't been able to continue on, and and that's uh, Bendigo also has a large population of students with the universities. And we've seen the students that have been really struggling as well without the part-time hours that they you know, relied on to survive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's go back to the issue of um, a bad internet connection and also the increased cost for people who really can't afford it. Uh, yeah. uh, to, I mean, whenever uh, people talk about the best uh, possible situation or how we're going to deal with this and deal with that, uh, like homeschooling, you know, they'll talk to people who have rather big houses and good internet connection and, yeah. uh, you know, a big table that the different kids can be in or they can be in different rooms. Now, that's a bit of a fantasy for some people. Yes, it is. If you've got three or four children and you're in a very small house and you've got limited internet connection, um, you know, sometimes the kitchen table's not big enough to put a couple of them at, let alone three or four of them. And um, if you've got different levels that are trying to access different programs, it's very difficult for for a parent or for anyone to try and get through, especially the older children that are, you know, in secondary school, it must be very difficult for them to try and keep up with their studies if they've not got access to the proper internet. And some of them don't have computers that they they have available at home either. Or they have one computer to share between two or three of them. Now, Bendigo is not quite the same thing at places where I was, which was in East Gippsland, and it was a while ago. But when I was in East Gippsland, I was fascinated to find that the uh, level of um, education of uh, the majority of the people, uh, and I know that Bendigo is a different slice, but uh, uh, not many people had actually gone to university, for example. So yes. uh, it, people's education levels were at a particular level. And it was one of the reasons for why it was so important to decentralise education, to give yes. opportunities to people who live in the country who to go to higher education and not have to leave, sacrifice uh, and, uh, you know, drain the country areas of the young people, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. And yeah, so, look, yeah. Uh, there's, go there's on. There's still a lot that don't, um, that, that their scores aren't high enough to get into university level, um, and and they're falling through the cracks. And, you know, we, we've been working uh, with one of the, the schools here to try and keep students engaged in schooling, Um to try and supply them with the items that they need um, to continue on with their schooling. But some, but when you come from that lower socioeconomic background, it's sometimes quite difficult to to be able to keep up with the things that are needed to continue your schooling. Yeah, yeah, and also yes. uh, for it to be valued. That's what I'm get, really getting at. It's not part of the uh, system in, you know, like they're good at something mm. else. Uh, yes, because yes. that's the world that they're they're part of, right? That's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, it's not as valued to them, valuable to them. But and so obviously, this kind of stuff is really having a big effect, 
bigger effect probably in the country than it's happening having in the city. But you know, we're not. Yes. You know, that's a straw poll. But the, the the thing I wanted to get at was, you're from the Bendigo Family and Financial Services. How are you tackling some of these issues? Look, it's been very difficult. We've stayed open through the whole time, so we've been available um, via phone if someone has needed support. Um, most of our interviews went through to phone interviews, which aren't quite as good as face-to-face, but we we continued to do that. Um, we've been trying to uh, link services to clients, you know, if they ring and and... and there's issues that we can't help them with. We'll try and link them into the places they need to go to. So it's, and we've also had the front door, they've been able to come to the front door and and talk to us through the front door. So we've still sort of kept that door open for all of our clients. Um, and, and some of them just ring up just to say hello because they haven't spoken to someone for two or three days. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Which I can is, you know, which is very tricky too. But, um, with the lockdown that's that's happened, a lot of the services, you know, they haven't, they've been open, but they haven't been able to take clients in in the way that they would have without lockdown, and that's caused extra stress on on some of the ones that present with us. So it means that we have to spend a bit more time with them, um, and and to listen to what they're saying. I think that's one of the, the biggest things we've had to, to to do is to learn how to listen to what they're asking for. Um, uh, how many people work at your service? Uh, through COVID, we had twenty. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Was that yeah. a was yeah. were you given uh, extra support by the uh, the we were. government? Yeah. Yes, we were. Yeah. Now we're down to um, thirteen. I think we've got now. Um, but through the COVID, we'd have the extra because of the extra work that we were doing. Um, we coordinated food deliveries to people, um, got food out into the community to those that just couldn't get in to get food, and that that created a huge um, workload for us to what we were normally, you know, able to supply our community. Our food our food doubled. Yeah, yeah, it did. With I what mean, we were getting out. We, we, we were just uh, listening to some stuff from Bridget Bentley, who's part of Bendigo yes. Food Share. So you're obviously yes. connected to them. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's a very interesting sort of. Uh, so the fam, so the Bendigo and the surrounds, the, uh, the people, grassroots organisations are actually working together to get a positive result. We are, yeah. We do work quite cl- very closely together. Um, we have to because we've all got limited resources. So we have to make sure that what what we have got we use wisely. So, um, you know, it just works well to be, to work together. How are people dealing financially? Uh, do you th- from your impression? Look, we we have financial counselling program as well, and that's um, I think at the moment we've got about seventy on our waiting list. Yeah. Um, the last few months we've just been inundated with um, people wanting financial assistance. Yes. Um, you know, they've come through COVID, rents have gone up, a lot of the moratoriums they've been in have ended, so now they've got debts to pay back. Um, and they're just not, not able to manage. No, no, it's it's a yeah. stacked against them. And this bit, yes. uh, they were just talking about how um, uh, house prices and rents have gone up something like yes. 35% across Victoria. Yes. Yes, yeah, well, I know some of our clients, you know, we had 
one gentleman the other day that has two children that he cares for, and his rent has gone up $35 a week. Oh, my God. Now that's $70, and he's on a, um, on a pension. So that's a huge amount of money that he's got to find to keep him and his children in housing. You know, it just goes to show that uh, it's okay for some. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, I think we're going to see a new wave of homelessness um, because there's a lot of people that just can't afford to stay where they are. They'll be right for a few months until they get so far behind that they just can't catch up. Oh, that's just terrible. Yeah, right. Yeah. We should uh, ca- uh, we have to finish now, but uh, we should catch up with you again to find yeah. out how things are going. So, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so we'll talk yeah. to you again. Thanks very much, Jen, for talking okay. to me. Thank you. A weak solidarity, Becky team listener. When, if our listener took my tip, she, he would have cleaned up. As we declared three weeks ago, it was odds on the Socialist Party would support tax cuts for the filthiest rich of the filthy rich. Accompanied, we didn't even bother to mention this because it was an unbackable certainty, accompanied by ditching any attempt to prevent the filthy rich making fortunes from the public purse for their investment in ripping off renters or a correction in property development. Making even the most difficult performances in the Olympic diving pool look very ordinary indeed as they performed a quadruple backflip with triple piking it. Their moral principled argument that this would prevent the government from attacking them for opposing tax cuts for the filthiest rich of and massive handouts through negative gearing and other property concessions. Now, the government can just attack them for being spineless, totally spineless. No one... Let's no no. Let's hear Socialist Party Supremo and would-be big Supremo Anthony all being oozy explain the backflip. Uh, the Socialist Party is providing certainty and clarity to true blue Aussie working families. He explained, and it certainly is. True blue Aussie working families will now have no doubt where our priorities lie. No, they certainly won't, Anthony. By the way, he's on the left of the Socialist Party. Just thought I'd mention that. No need to add there's nothing left on the left of the Socialist Party. Anthony, people are asking if you're approving trillions in handouts to the filthiest rich of amid record government debt, how will you fund essential government social responsibilities without having to cut essential government social responsibilities? Uh, 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 we will, uh, uh, we will, uh, uh, does that answer your question? Clearly. And I notice you say your focus is on developing an economy that works for working families, not the other way around. How how do you plan to do that? Uh, By giving trillions in tax cuts to the filthiest rich of the filthy rich. Uh, So by trickle down. Uh, Yes, the filthy rich guarantee it will trickle down. Like peeing your pants, Anthony, but then what will be your point of difference with the government? Well, that is even more clear. Scummo will want to be Big Supremo, and I will want to be Big Supremo. It gives Troubler Aussie working families a clear choice. Uh, as the Bard wrote, are all thy hopes, spoils, ambitions shrunk to this small measure? 
mentioned last week how the True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review, a great advocate for keeping the economy open no matter how rampant COVID, had sent New South Wales Supremo Gladys Berridge-Lockermin's rating crashing from gold-plated to rusted tin overnight. But those whom the Capitalist Review would regard as gold-plated heroes, those who know what's good for us, the great directors of the great corporations, such esteemed institutions as Telstra and the Witch Bank, which used to be our bank, well, Telstra too used to be ours, how much better off we are that these formerly bloated public inefficiencies are now so efficient and community-minded. Anyway, these highly respected and knowledgeable board professionals held a virtual meeting and gave us the wisdom of that collective knowledge, telling us the government needs an urgent plan for living with COVID, must open all borders, including our international borders, and keep our economy moving. That last bit seemed to be the point of it all. See, told you they are community-minded. We don't mind if the community comes down with COVID uh, as long as we don't. They frank their concern. Caring business must take the lead in advising government, must wrest this responsibility from medical professionals and scientists who have no idea what they're talking about, who put public health ahead of economic health, when we must learn to live with both. Well, not necessarily live with public health, maybe live with public non-health, but the costs of a non-health bit could be met by the public purse from the bits of money they got flogging off all those government profitable enterprises. Oh, no, no, hang on, that's, that's a problem. That, that money dissipated years ago. In the satire can't compete department, Big Supremo scuttled them more, Lash Sun, a.k.a. Scummo, declared that if expert scientific advice for yesterday's National Cabinet meeting on the vaccination rates that will allow society to reopen were deemed too high or unachievable, economic factors would have to be taken into account. Ditch the science. Well, they've had plenty of practice of that with climate change if there is such a thing. And given our record, Scuttle then was being very practical, any vaccination rate should be unachievable. On that balancing act, the dichotomy between health and the economy, Radio National the other morning announced, coming up on breakfast, we'll discuss the lockdown with Hayseed and Sheepshit Party Supremo Barnacle and Nobel Prize winner Professor Peter Doherty. And I thought, I wonder which of them will make more sense. Barnacle did say we are all intelligent beings, all. So presumably, he includes himself. Food for thought there, listener, and and should we be worried? Very worried and every right to be so. Poor caring employers asking what Scuttlebem AKA is up to, rejecting calls to restore JobKeeper in its original form, announcing the same handout to affected workers, but with a distressing difference which has caring employers in righteous disbelief. See, we know caring employers and their sundry chambers of profits eulogise JobKeeper for keeping caring employers and lazy avaricious workers conjoined, so to speak. Caring employers with a very special incentive for maintaining the relationship. The very special incentive that the money to pay their workers is channelled through them. Well, not channelled, handed to them. Thus, the distressing difference which has caring employers in righteous disbelief. How dare the government pay directly to workers money that is intended for those workers?
Imagine how the super rich at the exclusive Troubler Wazzy Golf Club in Sydney must feel, for instance, the oldest golf club in Troubler Wazzy. Redesigned a few years ago when the late great Kerry Puker, Lord Kerry of Waterhouse, father of J.B. Puker, hired Jack Nicholas to do the job. Last year, the club pocketed one and a half million in JobKeeper handouts it just forgot to channel to its workers. Well, didn't forget its CEO increased his pay from six eighteen thousand to six hundred and thirty-five grand during the epidemic, and the club announced a two point seven mil profit. One of the numerous recipients of big economic guru Josh Friday Iceberg's largesse without money, the Parliamentary Budget Office this week revealed did not meet the qualifications to receive JobKeeper. Money shoveled down 18 well-manicured Jack Nicholas-designed holes, so to speak. An estimated $25 billion real figure to companies that ripped off or didn't qualify. Sorry, miscalculated their figures. Retailer Best For Us and Less For Workers, a good example, which received 42.7 mil in JobKeeper payments and channeled a whopping 15.7 mil of that to its workers who were supposed to get the lot, pocketing the little 26.9 mil difference as pure taxpayer-funded profit, presumably for its administrative costs in pocketing 26.9 mil as pure taxpayer-funded profit. Bad luck for the workers. Thanks to all this, Best For Us increased revenue by 62% despite lockdowns and things. So any wonder Best For Us, Less For Workers is one of the loudest voices calling for the latest worker handouts to be paid directly to the caring employers. For goodness sake, it might have to make its own profit. Even the pro-caring business class aforementioned Capitalist Review was forced to concede that Josh Friedem Icebergs, quote, has shattered all previous records for the misspending of public money. So any wonder poor caring employers are aghast that for some inexplicable reason Scuttle them won't hand them all that lovely lovely when all they want to do is show how devoted they are to their lazy avaricious workforces. Job keeper the money. Meanwhile, the Minister for Environmental Sweet Talk, Susan Lees and Dregs, described her successful trip to prevent the World Heritage Council declaring the not-so-great barrier reef endangered as a great victory for Trublawazi. Just a pity it wasn't such a great victory for the not-so-great, but thankfully, due to the obvious, we couldn't see the tears blending into their surrounds as the polyps and the array of marine life heard the news. Susan obviously believes in that admirable philosophy, don't do today what you can put off until tomorrow. Meaning, for the not-so-great reef, there may not be too many tomorrows. Knew that item would cheer you up, listener. Scuttle them and his economic genii like Josh Friedem Icebergs have urged retirees to draw down, as they call it, their super. Spend up before you die, they urged. Which would, I imagine, require a semblance of prescience. But what if they get it wrong, Scummo, run out of money, check their pulse, and find they're still breathing? Then it's obviously time to die. See, nothing but practical, Scummo, Josh and the team. On super, the worst-packed bank superannuation arms were fined three mil this week, pocket money really, over fee-for-no-service breaches exposed in the Her Most Gracious Majesty's Finance Commission. 
bloody hell. Damn, those terms of reference were thrown in by the then get the evil unions out of the way, Minister Kelly, why are workers so evil, to get the union industrial funds, and they stuffed it up. They got the wrong lot. They got the non-evil goodies. Our discovery that lots of the non-evil goodies ripped off, or no, sorry, got their figures a bit mixed up and incorrectly, that is illegally, but of course inadvertently illegally claimed JobKeeper and then forgot to pass most of it on to the workers whom they so care about. Finally, given the government's determination to reclaim public money allegedly ripped off, exemplified by its erroneous robo-debt attacks on the poorest of the poor and their horrendous effects on the poorest of, we can be certain all those caring employers must be shaking in their boots as they await the rigid hand and unrelenting threats of a government determined to reclaim the billions that in this case were ripped off. And back to where we started. The odds on certainty of the Socialist Party supporting the filthiest rich of? Well, if you can get on, it's also odds on which way the government will go in prosecuting the filthiest rich of who have ripped off or, sorry, got their figures a, a bit mixed up. Good morning. Yes, well, that thing, uh, pri- uh, Lester's best... That's pretty outrageous stuff, isn't it? You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. We're coming up to the last section of the program and we're going to go to a uh, quickly to a piece that's about the no cashless debit card. Now, it's, it hasn't gone away and there are people who are fighting to the death over it. Um, it, it there's a lot of things that are, have to be considered and that's why it's important to listen to this uh, sequence. I think this comes from life, like living incomes. For everybody, they had a they had several people come who have been working on this issue. Now, in this particular piece, they talk about an event that they want people to involve themselves in, which is uh, uh, rallies outside banks. Uh, they talk about September. It was very early days in the discussion. They've actually. Uh, uh, pinpointed November the 5th, Friday, November the 5th is the day. So when they talk about September, they've actually moved it to November. So anyway, here we go. Firstly, we have uh, Catherine Wilkes, who is the convener of the No Cashless Welfare Debit Card Group, which is very prominent on Facebook with thousands of followers. The second is Amanda Smith. Amanda comes from the Sano 7 group uh, based here in Melbourne. So, Amanda, would you like to kick off? Uh, the Sano 7 was called the Sano 7 because a Liberal Party member decided to call us seven Sano ratbags one day. That's how we got our name. We were all uh, seven women who decided to fight the card uh, just over six years ago. For the Sano 7, we do uh, policy analysis and research. We provide information to media, other writers, bloggers, and people regarding the card from a cardholder perspective and from a policy perspective. Thank you. And Catherine, your turn. Okay, so um, I started uh, No Cashless Debit Card Australia six years ago. And um, yes, we were being heavily trolled by LMP at the time. And that's where I met Amanda and became part of the Sono 7 as well. And uh, so we've teamed up and I've concentrated on um, the last three years when the card came to the region I was living in. I had to make a decision were we online or whether we were on the ground and we went on the ground and I um, assisted cardholders trying to get them information 
direct them to the senators and try and help them get off the card, which we got quite a few people off. Um, we've done a lot of protests. I've spoken at four Senate inquiries. Oh, we've done petitions, media, television, the works. Um, we're just not going to shut up no matter what they say because um, that's what they've tried to do in my region quite a lot is shut me up and it hasn't worked. I've been stalked and surveilled and trolled and I'm not going to shut up. If you could describe for us, Catherine, the impact on the day-to-day -day lives of these cards. Okay, so for somebody who's initially, when they first get their card, they, they get quite shocked. Um, it impacts them in, in across so many ways. So health-wise, it affects your mental health. It causes stress, leading to people going to their doctors, getting a mental health plan, being put on medications for depression, anxiety, and they, they, recluse, they, they recluse themselves anyway naturally once they've dealt with the failure of the cards in public and had to put up with, in the beginning up here, some very horrible judgmental comments from people standing behind them at checkouts. Um, that, and then not being able to get into community events because the money's on the card and the kids can't take part, so that upsets kids. So parents withdraw to... In, in the Hinkler region, you can actually do online shopping with Coles. So I know quite a few families that don't go shopping anymore. They do the online stuff to, so to save any embarrassment and any more shame that they've copped in the past. With the health issues, it can go further as well. We did have a young mum who was at an at-risk pregnancy when she got her card and even her doctors um, were trying to advise Indu to, no, don't do this. It's going to affect her pregnancy. And, of course, Indu staff laughed at her and said, oh, no, it's not going to cause you any problems. Well, it did. She ended up going to hospital with a preemie birth. And then she had the indignity with a hospital social worker trying to sort out a preemie baby and trying to activate her cashless debit card with the hospital social worker and the social worker from Indu. Right? And, and it's, it's been shown in other regions that you get lower birth weights in pregnancy, higher mortality rates in utero and um, some of the other physical health impacts. <laughs> I've seen it with my friends that are on the card here, right? One in particular, 33-year-old Jodie, she had a heart attack. She's been diagnosed with a condition called broken heart syndrome, which is caused by stress. It's a very re real issue. So people are dealing with um, the mental stress, the physical stress, and they also have to deal with, in the community, because of the, the media ramp up of welfare bludgers and, and stuff like that, there's always the problem. When the card fails, all eyes are on you. Do you know what I mean? And that is very intimidating for a lot of people. But it also causes problems at school with the kids because when, when the kids can't participate um, or they can't get access to secondhand school uniforms and they can't go on excursions, right, um, we've had kids, that are, one of the families I know, all of her kids were in counselling. And when you get seven-year-olds come home and say, are we poor because they're excluded, it has an effect on the whole family because rent failures, you can't pay car loans. And, and I've, I've watched, I've had people in my lounge room broken, in tears, shaking, that just don't know what to do. They couldn't pay their rent. They were being evicted. Three kids not sure what to do, you know what I mean? It's breaking people. And this is the most inhumane policy and they just will not listen or acknowledge any of the human impacts. 
on on the card at all. Yeah, just quickly, I'd just like to say the evaluation report showed that there are more vulnerable children now in the trial regions than there were before the card rollouts. Um, you know, we know from in, from the Stronger Futures report, more neglect, more more vulnerable children in basics cards region as well. But I'm saying the evaluation supports the question that children are being impacted. Okay, with the way that I've seen children impacted, being excluded from community events um, and putting parents in a position where the children cannot partake and they have to stand there and watch other children partake, right? Breaks the parents' heart. But it's also once the child's like, well, why can't I be involved? And you try and explain that to three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds. They don't get it. It causes harm. Well, school uniforms. People can't access school uniforms. You know what I mean? The thing I found, like, I had another family. Why should a 12-year-old boy be propping his mum up and trying to look after his younger siblings when the whole family's impacted and falling apart and he's trying to keep it all together to keep his mum strong as well and I saw that um the barriers to housing it's it's putting families in tents and I'm not joking uh you know we did a fun like a, a donations run for a family that were living in a tent and they were moving from place to place and then they they moved to another place and they just got all their stuff together and it was all in the tent and the tent went up in flames and lost everything, you know. Um, so the problem is with when people can't pay rent, they lose their housing. And oh, the, the pressure on parents, but the impact on the kids, they know that they're being segregated. They know that they're being left out. And that's going to have a serious impact down the line. One of my other people that were on the card was concerned that because of the impact of not being able to partake at school and in daycare, right she put it this way how come my two-year-old is going to be held back right how come my five-year-old misses out this is going to have serious long-term effects on their education when they can't be included the self-esteem everything this is yeah it's just a, a massive impact on the whole family we know, for, we know from testimony from cardholders themselves that in schools, when you're when you're using the Indu card, they're actually using a separate FTOS terminal um, to process the Indu Indu transactions. Okay. We know that um, TAFE students and university students are also impacted, unable to buy graduation photos and gowns. Anything secondhand is impacted as a result. Photographs, end of school photographs. Um, these these are all the impacts on children as well and more well, frustration for parents okay school sports day you'd think every kid would be involved yeah sports day they will but in Seduna, for instance after school sports day they have a barbecue they put on little soft drinks and everything for the kids but the parents couldn't partake because they didn't have cash so you're talking about i had one parent having to, to drag a five-year-old autistic child away along with other parents right because half that town is on the card so those kids were all excluded from the end of um, school, you know, sports day events, um, that really hammers into a kid that you're different and you can't have what the other kids can have, even if it is only a fruit cup and a sausage sizzle. You know what I mean? That's damn right rude and it's just, it's, it's un-Australian as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I, I hear It amplifies the that there is a social aspect to the segregation. It's not just an economic apartheid. It's actually a social apartheid as well. And we use that word very specifically because it does mean to separate, to segregate. 
and the, and people on cards are being segregated. This legislation is an act of seg- of segregation in practice, no matter what the government calls it. We call it socioeconomic apartheid um, in in fora that we discuss this on, um, in casual relax. It's people trying to get people to understand what the word apartheid actually means in practice. Can you know they think South Africa, um, well, it's like that but worse. You know, we have people, um, something I wanted to add is that we've had parents who have lost children, unable to buy a funerary urn, okay, because the card declined, having to request permission for a cash transfer for a funerary urn to bury her twins. You know, to be denied by a stranger from a corporation that you don't know a funerary urn. We have another woman, a christening gown, secondhand christening gown, to not be able to be the parent that you know you can be for your children because somebody else is pulling the strings on what you can do. It's absolutely devastating. You know, children go through every crisis their parents go through, plus their own crisis as well at school, in the playground, you know, so it's the double the impact on children. I hope that answers the question. I just wanted to add what I said in chat that Hinkler region is now number one in Queensland for homelessness. Yeah. It started as number three before the trials. So the impact, we've got mums in tents, we've got mums sleeping in caravans and on couches. One woman recently had a caesarean section whilst couch surfing because the card refused, you know, her rental situation was a private one as opposed to a leased one and Inju wouldn't release the money for her to pay cash rent. Initially it was supposed to be to reduce social harms within the community in regards to alcohol, drug and gambling issues. However, then it moved on to, we had Twiggy Forest in the media on the ABC at one stage saying that it would stop men from being pedophiles, which really raised an outlaw, right? Um, Then we had Anne Rustin saying that it's a literacy tool. (laughs) Um, However, all I see is bankruptcies, um, broken credit ratings and damaged rental histories and evictions. I don't call that a good literacy tool, right? Mm-hmm. Then um, it's supposed to uh, encourage welfare recipients to get off welfare, Punishment. right? Um, but it can't create any jobs except for those that, you know, get the contracts like impact employment agencies and stuff like that then it's good contracts for those people, but not for the average Joe that's out here trying to get a job. So basically I've heard um, from Kananara, one of the the staunchest supporters um, of one of the First Nations people, he was saying that um, basically it's to, to to bring about total behavioural change. The justifications in the legislation uh, is to reduce social harms and reduce the amount of money being spent, uh, welfare money they call it, being spent on alcohol and drugs. Um, every evaluation to date has shown that that's not happened. Um, in fact, the, the minuscule amounts, 85.4% of people have had no positive impact after six years. Um, the very limited amount of change that has happened has been attributed to alcohol bans and other forms of, of um, suppression of, of alcohol purchases in communities and even communities themselves are saying that. It's noteworthy to say that Sejuna Drug and Alcohol Centre have also come out and said the card hasn't worked to solve any of the problems that they had. So um, it's not just us saying 
weighing these things. It's the government's own evaluation. Um, but we have been, you know, we've been called uh, pedophile supporters. We've been called crime supporters. Um, people have to understand that people who have jobs, people in paid employment are on the card right now. This is not something that only impacts Aboriginal people. They make up 40% of people on cashless debit cards right now. It doesn't just affect single mums who do make up a larger proportion uh, of parent, of people on the cards. It affects everybody across the board. We have a working mother who gets $15 a fortnight who is on the card, a full-time working mother, you know, who is on the card. So this card is a blanket approach. There is no assessment of your condition done. All right, so when they say a justification like financial tools, if somebody is given like $40 a day to live on. Even the financial experts have said that amount of income is not enough to run a budget. It's not enough to create a budget, let alone to plan and to save or to do anything else. There's This kind of thinking is an ideological perspective and it's a neoliberal ideological perspective and, as, we, as many people know, a religious perspective on poverty, yeah. a particular religious perspective. The last formal notification we received in Parliament was that the card is costing 12000 per person to initiate. <clears throat> that is a cumulative total cost of the announced spending. Um, it is not a yearly sum. The yearly sum works out to around, we assume, $900 to $1,000 per participant. But going by the last Senate estimates, this year, 19 and 20 alone, it cost over $6,500 per participant. We do have all the data and the estimates figures, but those three sums that the Senators um, admitted to in Senate estimates are not evidence of the cumulative cost of that year's spending on CDC. Only the only the contractual obligations that department were required to provide. Uh, all spending charges, all the, and costs of the CDC are now not for not for publication. The government has made it secret. Regarding Andrew Forrest, uh, one Andrew Forrest is a multi billionaire. He doesn't need our money, and it's never been about money for Andrew Forrest. It has been about control. And when you see that he has a senator, a former employee of Mindaroo is now sitting in the Senate, you understand what I mean by about power and control. I have met at a Senate hearing, um, you know, uh, Senator O'Sullivan, and he has in, and is entitled to his view as any member of parliament is. Um, but yeah, to have somebody from Andrew Forrest's own network sitting in the Senate and having him and Mindaroo continue to push, say, for people like Jacinta Price to be entering into federal politics is a, is a great concern because this is where the power um, and the power play and control of private corporate interest over government policies comes into play. And that's our biggest concern. He doesn't need the money. He does need the power and control over our government which Mindaroo, being Australia's very own little circo at the moment, especially out west, um, you know, it, it is a problem for us. And we find that a significant problem. But Andrew yeah, himself and the Liberal Party are not shareholders in Inju. I have to say this out loud. I have the list. I know who the shareholders are. And if you are a member of ACOBA, which is the customer-owned banking association in Australia, then you are very likely a shareholder and participant owner of Inju Limited. 
we beat the card the first time round. They couldn't get it through the first time round, and then they moved the goalposts and made it a trial and reintroduced the legislation, and they got it through only because of an independent called Tim Storer, um, who I went all the way to Canberra to meet, and then at the last minute he didn't want to see me because I knew he'd done a deal then. You know what I mean? And that's, at that stage was 5,000 people already on the card. We've done pre-poll every state and federal election. We have people, volunteers out at pre-poll uh, to give out information and stuff like that. We'll be doing that again when the election comes. This September we're doing an action because we know now that the banks are going to be involved and they're already part of a nearly two-year running group called the Technology Working Group. Government has been trying to privatise welfare payment systems and is using the banks to do that. Again, this TWG is being run by not as a government so it doesn't have to report to government. It's not being run as a government program. It's being on the side, but it is being chaired by Senator O'Sullivan. So from and Mindaroo is a part of that group as well as all the major banks. So I'm going to spill the beans. We are going to do some bank actions in September and we're going to need everybody's help. We um we're going to get as many people as we can out the front of banks in September on a date we're not going to release just yet. And we are onboarding people now into, into our September volunteers group for that end. That is the sole purpose of this particular volunteers group is to, um, is to get people involved in this one day, as many people as we can across Australia to raise awareness of, of the issue of the bank's involvement in INJU. And, you know, um, given that it is income management, not just cashlessness. This is not just welfare in another form. This is management of your life through your income by a third party. People need to be aware of that. And that's what we're taking to the streets. It's one day in September. It's not a lot to ask. After six years of hauling us, we need help to get this job done, to raise this awareness. And... Um, it's not a lot to us. We want to make as much hay as we can off that one particular day and raise the awareness in the general public like we have with the Indu card. We have done a lot of work. We have watched the narrative, not just in, in Parliament change, but the narrative in the street change. Well, CPSU, I'd like to say thank you very much for all your support for the last six years. <laughs> so we do have a lot of union support already, but it's small. <laughs> All the way along, we've had the support of state ALP and all the way along, we've had the support of the Greens continuously, right? They've been, the Greens have been vehemently opposed to the card all the way through. We had to sort of like, in the beginning, ALP was supporting the trials, but then the day that I handed Bill Shorten the terms and conditions that were given to cardholders, when his policy advisor went through it, they backed out of supporting the trials and then they started voting against the card since 2017. And now they've become very public against the card and they've, they've stepped up and said that they will scrap it if they're elected. Independence, Andrew Wilkie has been very much opposed since the outset yes. and has been a wonderful support. Um, Helen Hayes has also spoken out in, in, in Parliament several times against the card. Um, 
you know, and we've also had Senator Rachel Seawett and Senator Sue Lyons, who have actually been our hands on with cardholders on the ground um, nonstop since the beginning. That support has been invaluable and the consistency of their messaging, their willingness to stand up in Parliament and call out the lies that are being told there has been you know, one of the things that has given us a lot of faith and hope that, for change. ALP's bipartisanship was withdrawn only in 2017, but consistently along the way, we have watched their evolutionary process process and we've been a part of that informing process um, there are no saints in politics we're not naive and we're not stupid but ALP's position on the card we absolutely and thoroughly support uh, just to smash this card to end compulsory income management in Australia is the goal of everyone working in our field I mean it is the goal and they've just come out and said that's what they're going to do in order to pass this election uh, One Nation do support the card, Danielle, unfortunately. They have voted for it every single time. And the last debate, uh, Pauline Hanson actually stood up and said that welfare recipients have no legal rights. It's well, Jackie good. Lambie voted for the card initially, and she has a very strong tie in relationship to Andrew Forrest and Matthew O'Sullivan that we're not comfortable with. She voted against the bill this time because the NLP didn't, didn't provide all the things that they were supposed to provide along with the, um, with the program when it rolled out. And she was able to see the correlations between the abandonment of people on cards in basics cards regions to, the, to what was happening again under Induke cards. So there's hope there. Trust, another question altogether, but there's hope there. If not for Centre Alliance, we would have no CDC in Australia today. Sterling Kruf left the building on vote night rather than, yeah. you know, rather than... Um, be seen to be supporting the Liberal vote. And Rebecca Sharkey blocked amendments in the House of Representatives that would have seen the card be blocked there. And Sterling Griff voted with the NLP on the night. Uh, for the last two bills now, Tim Storer and Centre Alliance have both uh, been the single vote deciding it. This program has never passed on merit, not once since 2015, not on evidence, not once since 2015. Um, it has only ever passed on the basis of backroom deals. And that is really important to know. All the evidence supports us, supports the cardholders, which we see tonight. There are three different exemptions from the law that INJU have. They're an untouchable entity. Cardholders have no access to sue them and, no, and very little, except for maladministration legislation in each state, to sue the government at all for any costs. Um, so change will have to come from within the parliament. Definitely through a federal ICAC, the relationship between the National Party and this card and how this card was implemented and the nature of contracts and the financial situations will come out. And, and I'm very pleased to say that's exactly what Anthony Albanese has suggested will happen under a Labor government. So whether you like Labor or not, if you don't want this card, we're, we're stuck with the 1-2 ALP Greens for, in our position. And from our perspective, ALP primary vote is the most important pro, you know, vote that we can do this election. We can have our idealistic what for, wish for government uh, any time after that, but to stop this policy, to get to the bottom of it um, and to bring it out into the open like robo-debt was bought, we're going to need to elect a new government. There's no other choice.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.